listening to Pop Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio. I'm Greg Masters, Managing Director at Health Innovation Media and co-founder and co-host of Pop Health Week. I'm flying solo today as my partner and lead co-host Fred Goldstein is away. On today's show, I'm thrilled to re-engage with a colleague who's a published author, consultant, thought leader, speaker, tech entrepreneur, and healthcare redemption evangelist, and we'll learn more about that shortly. Dave Chase is the creator of The Health Rosetta and co-founder of The Health Rosetta Institute and Health Rosetta Group. When I first met Dave, he was CEO and co-founder of Avado, a digital health company acquired by and integrated into WebMD and Medscape. The Health Rosetta is the blueprint for purchasing healthcare wisely, sourced from real life experience, implementing practical nonpartisan solutions. Dave's work applies the Health Rosetta in two areas. The Health Rosetta Institute creates lead-like certifications for better purchasing of healthcare benefits, while the Health Rosetta Group is a holding company and investment group that drives healthcare's transformation. It uses innovative approaches to build and fund the next generation of healthcare tech and services companies. Dave's TEDx talk, Healthcare Stole the American Dream, Here's How We Take It Back, sums up healthcare's devastation on the middle class and the redemption coming via a grassroots movement. Dave co-authored the Health Information Management Systems Society, also known as HIMSS, Healthcare Book of the Year in 2014, titled Engage, Transforming Healthcare Through Digital Patient Engagement. In 2017, he published the CEO's Guide to Restoring the American Dream, How to Deliver World-Class Healthcare to Employees at Half the Cost. In 2018, The Opiate Crisis, Wake-Up Call, Healthcare is Stealing the American Dream. So, needless to say, Dave's a prolific writer with a message, and there's certainly a common theme throughout his writings. Dave Chase, welcome to Pop Health Week. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate the opportunity. Glad to see you in the queue and that you made it. So, Dave, you've heard the intro, which I've sourced from some various uh, public um, profiles of you. It it should be relatively current. Uh, If not, you can certainly update it. But let's cycle back to what you're doing at at Health Rosetta writ large. Give us some background on its genesis and uh, the work you're doing today. Yeah, I mean, the the genesis, uh, I mean, it, it really goes back to when we, you know, you were mentioning we were crossing paths. And, you know, I had the startup of Auto that ultimately WebMD acquired. And essentially, I came away with this conclusion, you know, like any startup, you know, you look for a market gap. Uh, and I went looking for a market gap and found it. But what I actually found was what I believe the greatest heist in American history. And that's what the healthcare system has done to devastate the working and middle class uh, in this country, you know, and, you know, in our country, if you're not elderly or low income, overwhelmingly you get your benefits through your job. And it's not that employers aren't spending a lot more money than they did 20 years ago. The problem is all that money went to, a wildly underperforming healthcare system. And 
at a personal level, uh, kind of in that time frame, uh, unfortunately, by the time I was about 40, I'd had 10 friends that were my age or younger uh, die. And other than one that was a kayak drowning, uh, they were all, you know, sort of classic medical issues. And the last one hit me particularly hard because this was a, somebody who kind of a similar profile had had a successful tech career, should have had access to the best our healthcare system had to offer. Um, but by the end, the healthcare system had devastated her medically, financially, emotionally, you know, ultimately leaving behind a 10 year old uh, daughter and, it was a complete system failure and I realized I'd been part of that system, you know, and the way I was raised is if you don't, you know, you see a problem and you don't do something about it, you're complicit. And so that really put me on this scavenger hunt that I'd been on the last 10 years to essentially find all the fixes. And so what the health Rosetta was about and kind of the name there was, uh, you know, Egyptian hieroglyphics are, you know, were indecipherable once upon a time, and the Rosetta Stone helped decode those. And healthcare for a lot of people is kind of indecipherable. And the great news is what I'd found was what we say on our website, which is both true and aspirational. Healthcare is fixed. You know, we're just locating the fixes. And so every solution to the many problems that healthcare has have already been invented proven and modestly replicated. Our challenge is to massively replicate that. So I decided to, to found this kind of lead-like organization that if you're familiar with lead, you know, that mainstreamed a once fringe idea of more sustainably built buildings. And, you know, they accredited professional certified buildings. You know, the equivalent and kind of the tip of the spear for us is accrediting benefits professionals and ultimately certifying plans to, uh, you know, kind of do a similar thing to what happened in the built environment. And the built environment is kind of like healthcare, very entrenched, very local, doesn't change overnight. But if you are determined over a five to 20 year period, you can make a lot happen. So that's some of the, the long and winding journey. Obviously, there's a lot of details around that, but hopefully it gives you a little sense. Yeah, that's awesome. And Thank, I, I was not aware of that personalized skin in the da- in the game uh, calling uh, around your passion there. That makes a lot of sense. So uh, l- let's talk a little bit about those fixes. But first, uh, in the trailer uh, for the the mockumentary, the big heist, you state healthcare has created a middle class depression, crushed nest eggs, and put millennials on a path to indentured servitude so that's not a pretty picture dave uh, try to let's connect some of the dots for us how, how do you how do you uh, support that that assessment yeah and when you when you hear that you wouldn't know that i'm a congenital optimist um but i'm also <laughs> one who uh keeps their you know eyes and ears open and so what I mean is, you know, one definition of the economic depression is two or more years of wage stagnation or decline. By that definition, the working and middle class is in a 20-year-long economic depression. That's far longer than the Great Depression. And uh, it's brutal. You know, it's, 
it, because of that wage stagnation combined with healthcare costs going up, people are cutting spending on food, housing, transportation, clothing. You know, they're not canceling trips to the Bahamas. Um, and in terms of the crushing nest eggs, if you look at the youngest boomer, they're like, I don't know, 53 or 54 or something like that. Uh, and, you know, they've had about a 30-year career. If you looked at had healthcare costs tracked regular inflation versus what happened with medical inflation, uh, and you invested that spread, you know, between the two, uh, that would be, if you just put it in S&P index fund, the average boomer would have a million dollars in their retirement fund. Instead, we have the reality that 60% of the workforce makes $20 an hour or less. The average family of four premiums are over 20000 Over half of the households have less than $1,000 in savings, and over half of the workforce has over $1,000 deductible. So you are a bad stub toe away from financial ruin in our healthcare system. And if that wasn't bad enough, on the millennial side, uh, if you look at the current trends, and actually the this is, believe it or not, kind of the optimistic view, where uh, millennials will spend half of their lifetime earnings on the healthcare system. This is very well-sourced data, actually, out of a book called Catastrophic Care by David Goldhill. This assumes that healthcare inflation only grows at half the rate of regular inflation, which it almost never does, usually exceeds. It grows at the current trajectory, uh, two-thirds of the lifetime earnings of a millennial uh, a typical millennial will go to the healthcare system. So, in, in a sense, they become indentured servants, you know, servants' care system. I don't think that's going to happen. Just like millennials drove adoption of social media, better food, um, you know, you name the internet, smartphones. Uh, the oldest millennials are now waking up um, because they are leaving that invincible stage of life and realizing. You know, I, I kind of joke the healthcare system is designed perfectly for millennials. That is, if you do the exact opposite of what the healthcare system does, and they have no loyalty to the obsolete old plans that pervade our system. And so that's going to bring massive change. They're already the largest chunk of the workforce. In five years, they're 75% of the workforce. And I think that's probably the greatest underestimated uh, piece of all this. And and I, I might add that uh, all of the fixes, and we'll, <clears throat> we'll spend a little more time on that, um, all of the fixes tend to push more of the cost burden onto them at, with the assumption that tech can provide um, support to better navigate and choose with transparency and access and, and, and uh, open source availability of these things that they can actually uh, navigate uh, the burden, the disproportionate burden that may be put on them by cost shifting, higher deductibles, increasing co-pays. <clears throat> if you're in the insured system, <clears throat> excuse me, opting out into a DPC, which we'll touch on shortly, is another matter, but they have a higher burden in the event that they can't optimize prudent utilization of healthcare resources through tech tools and such. So, Let's go back to your optimism thing. Well, it, clearly, at what you're doing at Health Rosetta has minimally re, um, um, revealed some best practices. In fact, 
Uh, I found a tweet of yours where I think it's also on the website. Healthcare's already fixed. Join us to scale those fixes. So let's talk about some of those fixes. One which you've advocated uh, in the past that I'm aware of is direct primary care DPC. And the other seemingly at the core of Health Rosetta is the smart buying uh, of, by self-employer, self-funded employer groups. Let's spend a few moments on each. Please amplify your advocacy where you see DPC fitting in this millennial surge and as a, quote, cure uh, to what I'll still call the health care cost conundrum popularized by Atul Gawande in 2010, uh, and, uh, and then spend a little time talking about uh, the DPC model and whether it can scale absent operating standards and perhaps some tiered risk assumption. Yeah, I mean, first I'd say, you know, the, the fixes I would call that you reference are so-called fixes. Um, you know, healthcare is unique, and it's the only industry that I know of that uses tech as an excuse for prices to go up and productivity to go down. Um, and so that's why you need a, a new blueprint. Um, and transparency, again, the way it's been implemented, incredibly easy to game and often has the opposite effect of what people actually want um, because of the nature of the deductibles. If you sum up a great plan, um, it makes smart decisions free and bad decisions expensive. You know, I just um, heard another case study that from one of the advisors in the program that's working with a manufacturer and recycler in Montana, and they put in these programs. While they've improved benefits over the last four years, their spending went from $8 million to $3.4 million. And so how do you do that? And that kind of relates to your question on primary care. So we talk a lot about value-based primary care. DPC is one flavor of that. Um, and so that recognizes there's no healthcare system in the world that's not built on a proper primary care foundation. What we call primary care, um, we basically already abandoned patients with our primary care. Uh, I would argue that nothing created more fertile ground for the opioid crisis than our devastated primary care, you know, because we have these drive-by appointments. I mean, for example, the second most common reason people go to the doctor is lower back pain after cold and flu. And uh, it's the number one driver of disability. Guess what? It's the number one driver of opioid prescriptions, even though there's zero evidence that uh, opioids are effective other than short-term masking of pain while things continue to get worse. Um, yet, even to this day, we, we prescribe at extraordinary rates. And so what you've got to do in terms of rebuilding primary care is, uh, you know, have their license. Um, if you look at the great value-based primary care models, for sure the docs are important. Um, and I've lived this personally through, you know, my dad's journey through Parkinson's the last four years, and he passed in November. And, you know, he got, you know, I don't think there's a better care model uh, in the world than what he received through one of the great Medicare Advantage programs. Didn't, despite, you know, the Parkinson's journey, he didn't spend a day in the hospital despite a lot of things going on. It was far better for my mom, for him, family. We probably saved the taxpayers probably over a couple hundred thousand dollars. And 
what you see in those models is um, for sure, you know, complex stuff. It's great to have the doc and, and we really appreciated um, that doc, but it was health coaches, PTs, OTs, dietitians, social workers, nurses, nurse practitioners, um, and so on. And so everybody's practicing the top of their license. And, you know, I wrote a piece about the so-called primary care shortage, which is just a failure of imagination because, you know, we have a typical primary care doc uh, and docs in general are spending two hours on bureaucracy for every hour of patient time. And so you kind of have to rebuild this and that's what you see happening. Um, you know, so the model my folks are in, for example, is um, uh, Iora Health. And there's a bunch of these. And so the DPC and, you know, there's different flavors of them. Um, they're a step on the journey. And so, so I'm, can I, you know, can out I, of can the, I interrupt, yep. Dave, can I interrupt you there? Uh, so because on Iora, because I was, I was wondering, you're telling a story about your dad, and I'm sorry uh, for your loss. Um, I'm thinking, okay, most likely Pacific Northwest, most likely a risk-bearing integrated delivery system that has a culture of team-based, coordinated, integrated care. Am I right? Absolutely. Okay, second question. Iora, Fernandopoli, Rashika Fernandopoli. Iora Health is one of the DPCs that's stretching into and integrating with Benefit plans, specifically, I believe, uh, Humana being one, and Humana is perhaps the most prolific Medicare Advantage operator in the country, is, is, and whereas DPCs, the pure play DPC, direct primary care, uh, is really a carve-out that exits the, uh, the funding mechanism of health benefits, and it really goes into a singular pod of what is provided is simply within the scope and practice and expertise of that primary care physician, which may vary from A to B to C to D. So you've got on the one hand a system, a systemic cure or fix, you, and then you've got maybe a somewhat of a blend, and then you've got essentially an exit. So is that a fair characterization of some of these pillars of fixes that are out there in your experience? Well, I would say it, it's exit from a failed system. Um, and what we see with the, the plans that, you know, our community is doing, they're sort of, you know, bolt on, built in, and built around in terms of proper primary care um, mm -hmm. and DPC. So if you look at the, right. the, the health plans and, you know, the employers, you know, in our country, you know, for better or for worse, you know, most people um, – you know, receive their, their care that way today. Um, they're very much like plug compatible with the, the best of, um, uh, you know, great Medicare Advantage plans. In fact, you look at Iora, you know, they got their start in the employer and union space and then expanded in. Um, and so these are, um, you know, again, the employers that are spending 20, 30, 50% less, they built it into the plan. And, and then the key here is replication. The one thing I would correct you on uh, off of a site is we might've had it on our site at one time, um, but we realized it was the wrong choice of words is 
we're focused on replicating, not scaling fixes. And the difference is scaling, you know, like venture, the venture world prays at the altar of scalability. You know, one thing becoming massive and Mm -hmm. uh, versus replication is recognizing that, you know, healthcare is very local and, you know, you need to adapt for the different markets. And there's just basically, there's no scale economies, there's scale diseconomies in healthcare. And, you know, the evidence is quite strong on that. And so to me, it's, it's like how PCs begot local area networks, you know, because people want to share printers and, and files. And then that begot wide area networks because people wanted to connect, um, you know, people in different locations and that all laid the foundation for when the web came along, uh, literally and metaphorically, the wires had already been laid there and took off. And so to me, um, we just have to get on it in terms of rebuilding proper primary care as the foundation of a healthcare system. And, and to me, DPC is, is one step on that journey. Um, the Medicare Advantage plans are probably where it's taking off the most because there is that model. Um, and, you know, that's a more complex risk-adjusted based thing, whereas an employer arena, they're just paying on a fixed amount every month. You know, they're not going through all the risk scoring uh, stuff, but it's basically the same approach. And again, under the, the Medicare Advantage model, this is risk transfer to a risk savvy, more often than not, risk savvy, supported by infrastructure and culture where risk is embraced and in turn uh, engages the, shall we say, downstream and subacute uh, continuum of care providers as cost centers versus typically seeing hospitals as revenue centers, imaging centers as revenue centers, outpatient surgery centers as revenue centers. They're all expenses in a risk yeah, fully, in a global risk. Yeah. Primary care medical, but that's not something you see in a, in a, in a traditional DPC model. That's really just a, a single solution for an individual doc or small group practice. I, I would debate that point because the, the thing that you have in common between a Medicare Advantage plan and an employer plan is they both, they're at risk, right? So the employer right. is at risk, the employees indirectly. And in both cases, whether it's Rushika's Iora plan, they have stop loss coverage that covers the outlier things. But in both cases, they want to manage total risk. And so they will, you know, the smart ones will contract out for primary care and so, you know, it could be the employer's already at risk there. You know, it may be there's a carrier that's processing the claims very inefficiently for them. But, you know, essentially you've got two-thirds of the workforce um, already in are in self-insured programs. And the other ones, for all intents and purposes, they're already self-insured because I can guarantee you if they have a bad claims year, the carrier is going to claw that back. Um, and so – so long as we have an employer-based healthcare system, um, that is, you know, what happens. So I'm not an advocate for or against, you know, particular public policy things. We just have the employer space as 
sort of the, the tip of the spear and the lever because no act of Congress is needed. And I kind of look at it as, um, uh, you know, <laughs> we have this reality. You know, I, I tend to believe the Churchillism of you can count on Americans to do the right thing after they exhaust every other option. <laughs> when the, the employer right. place to me at right. its best, what it is is CMMI mm-hmm. on steroids where rather than a couple dozen different tests out of CMS, you have potentially thousands of tests, and then it's put up or shut up. What actually works? Um, and there are some things working, and then you say, okay, well, how do we massively replicate that just like what happened with LEAD? You know, that started out in places like Portland and Boulder and Austin. They proved out the ROI, and through a replication model, you know, today there's probably not a building built that's not following those practices. Um, mm-hmm. Some don't get the certification, um, but they all pretty much follow those practices. So that's the system change model that we're following that's actually what lifted tens of millions of people out of poverty in India and is remaking a key part of the food system. Um, and, you know, the lead is another example. That's that's what we actually see working. And, you know, again, the evidence is quite clear that we've got 50 years of of public policy from both sides of the aisle um, that, you know, largely haven't produced what we all believe we should produce, um, which is the quadruple aim. It's great for the clinicians. It's great for the patient, leads to better outcomes and lower costs. We've had the opposite of all those things for decades now. So let's, we're, we're, we're running out of time, got about, just above, above three minutes, but let's talk a little bit about that arbitrage thing you mentioned up front and the spread that was created between uh, CPI and the, and the healthcare cost index. But uh, how yeah. do PPOs account for the, the, essentially that excess waste? Spend a few minutes on that quickly and then maybe pivot to perhaps what you've seen at Rosen Hotels and how they're solving that through smarter structuring of their network. Yeah, um, PPOs, probably a once good idea. Um, theory would be that a carrier has purchasing power and could get a better deal. The reality is we spend 2.6 times for the same things on healthcare that other countries spend. Um, and, you know, about that in terms of in the employer space on uh, Medicare. So you basically rent a network, you pay for the privilege, privilege of wildly overpaying. You know, a longer amount of time, I would explain why it is that carriers have that economic incentive to do that. Um, but that's the reality. And then um, in terms of what Rosen's doing, again, it started with primary care. In a proper primary care, like you see there, like you see in Denmark, 92% of the issues that people come into the healthcare system for can be fully addressed in a primary care setting. So I mentioned lower back pain. Um, that's a good kind of micro example of this. You know, rather than the problem that other employers have enabled through their spending and kind of being asleep at the wheel, they actually have a PT full time in their clinic and they can fully address those issues. And and then when, you know, there's actually some complex uh, or expensive things like pregnancy, 56 percent of their pregnancies are high risk. So they have a care management program. They work with the right places and they get those costs down. And that's how they've been able to spend half of what other employers spend, even with a significant disease burden.
And that'll have to be the last word on today's episode of Pop Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio. Dave, thanks for your time, energy, and rather candid observations. Thanks so much for having me on. Really appreciate it. Considering we only scratched the surface of this deep and complex story, we'll have to get you back for an introduction and progress report on the Community Health Savings Project. And if we have time, perhaps deeper dives into Health Rosetta Insights on what's actually working. Do follow his work on the web via www.healthrosetta.org. And follow Dave on Twitter via at Chase Dave. In my experience, most of Dave's postings on Forbes and other publications can generally be sourced via a tweet. For Fred Goldstein, Healthcare Now Radio, and Dave Chase, this is Greg Masters saying, bye now. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.